0: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is extra time on SENZ. I'm gonna call it now.
2: not start a show better than Guns N' Roses, Paradise City, Appetite for Destruction, 1987, 1988, what an album, what a wonderful piece of music, just saying, one of the great rock videos. I'll be in Wellington Thursday week to see them at the Caketon, looking forward to it, a band that has seen me through a lot of long bike rides in my day, a lot of long runs, through some very, very good times. Never played them, though, when I had that relationship breakup. I always thought, you know what, you can take my heart, you're not going to take my music. Wait until times were better and then got back into the Gunners. Anyway, this is SENZ. It's uh, coming up to two minutes after seven. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. Looking forward to having your company. Telephone number is 0800 You can text us here on 8833. Ben Francis alongside me. Ben, good evening. Welcome. How are we? I'm very good, mate. Yourself?
3: Good, thank you. Now you've got your dart show on tonight between 9 and 10? Yeah, that's right. Uh, between 9 and 10 o'clock, and we're going to have a bit of a giveaway on the show, which I'm looking forward to. It'll be the last show of the year as well with uh, my co-host, uh, the big rig, Ben Rob, before he jets off to the UK in a couple of days' time to get ready for the World Darts Champs.
2: Yeah, no, it's um, looking forward to it. So the draw, any sort of surprises? Can you let the cat out of the bag early?
3: I don't want to say necessarily surprises, but I guess what I'm really looking forward to talking with Ben about is the, the draw's done, but the schedule has not been confirmed. However... We already know that Ben will be the first man that walks up onto the stage for this year's World Champs because the winner of his game will play the defending world champion Peter Wright and on the same night as well. So it's going to be a very, very interesting night for him. And what music does he come out to? Uh, He comes out to a song called So Dangerous. We might play it a little bit later on. Yep, definitely. We'll play
2: it a little bit later
3: on. Okay, so looking forward to that. That is
2: between 9 and 10 tonight. Don't be afraid to jump on the phone. You got any darts questions too about how often they might sharpen the darts, the weight of the darts, uh, the feathers on the dart, all of those things. Are they called feathers or what do they call them these days?
3: Uh, they're called flights. And, flights. And believe me, we definitely, want, uh, we definitely want lots of people through tonight. We've literally cleared the decks for people to interact with us on the show tonight.
2: Okay, so if you want to talk some darts, just ask those questions. Uh, You might think they're stupid, but I guarantee 90% of people out there who are non-darts aficionados are probably thinking and asking and wanting the same question asked. And these guys don't just want to talk to the pure darts player, they want to try and grow the sport, so they want to talk to people who have an interest in it but have never really studied it. So get yourself involved between 9 and 10 tonight here on SENZ. Now, um, we will be tonight bringing you football coverage, 11 o'clock tonight. What's the game tonight, Ben? I have just running through the schedule here. I've got Netherlands-Qatar at 4am, Ecuador-Senegal at 4am, we've got Iran-USA, and we've got Wales-England, and they – seem to be on at
3: the same time. Is that correct? Yeah, that, is, that does seem to be the case. So no 11 o'clock game for us tonight. So unfortunately, we've got to stay back an extra 15 minutes. Nothing unfortunate about it. We love what
2: we do, Ben. We enjoy talking on the radio. We enjoy talking sport. It was the childhood dream. And but we're you here know, doing
3: it and we're living it. But you know those 15 minutes could mean more road cones, more orange
2: cones for you. Got a free ride, run home yesterday. Fortunately, I check the motorways now here in Auckland to find out where the detours are. As I said, if you were to have a flag or a symbol of Auckland, or redo the New Zealand flag, I think you would definitely say that it should just be an orange road cone with maybe a, a, a pothole, and you might have one of those trucks with the big X on it that tends to slow the traffic down, close down one side of the motorway. Absol- absolutely amazed, Ben, at how many traffic cones they use when you've got a truck on the side of the road trimming trees near power lines, and you think, well, that's about a 25-metre um, distance, and yet the cones go for about a kilometre.
3: Oh, I, I don't. I don't know the, the reasoning behind it, but I know. Firstly, I think the fl- If we do a new flag, it should be the kiwi with the laser beams shooting out orange cones. I think that that would be my design. What's the, what's the what's the laser beam? Well, don't do you remember when they did the last flag submissions and they, and they they were going through some of the funny ones and one of them was a kiwi shooting laser beams out of its brilliant, size? brilliant. Uh, so that would be, I would like to combine those two to make to make one. Uh, secondly. Uh, I know that people in New Zealand, there's lots of sheep here. I reckon that it's going to be similar numbers with road cones in terms of road cones per capita. Uh, Thirdly, I don't know the whole ordeal in terms of the spacing out, although I do uh, praise them for doing that because my cousin when he was seven actually lost his arm climbing down a tree and grabbing a power line because that that was before when they used to trim them they never used to trim them so the lines just would go straight through and he was climbing down a tree and grabbed a power line and lost his arm so wow who's lucky to be alive incredibly lucky yeah unbelievable i remember i remember remember that day so vividly um, well there was that scaffolder out in
2: west auckland recently wasn't there that Ended up losing, I think, both arms and possibly both legs by uh, maybe the scaffold or one of the poles that he was carrying touching the power lines terribly. So don't wish that upon anyone. I mean, I can understand risk management put in place. I get all of that, but I think it's sometimes it's just gone a little bit too far. There's this famous road relay they have in Christchurch. It's been going for 86 years. It's called the Takahe to Akaroa Relay, and it's a road, road running relay. And you have, I think, seven or six or seven runners and everyone does about a 10k leg and it starts basically um, in Christchurch there up Dyer's Pass and it finishes in Akaroa. And all the greats of New Zealand athletics have all done it over the years. The likes of Walker, Dick Quacks, Rod Dixon. Um, You know, you go back to the likes of the Dick Taylors. Everybody that's anybody has run this road relay because every four years it's part of the New Zealand Club Road Relay Championships and the record holders of each lap are absolute icons. And this year... They went to stage the nationals on it and then the fund police got involved and then the fund police said show us your risk management plan and of course it didn't tick all the boxes and the recommendations they put in place would require huge amounts of money which they simply didn't have and so for the first time in 80 odd years it wasn't staged. I mean that's where we're getting to in this country. You know, I think what's always made New Zealand so incredibly special is that she'll be right attitude. You know, let just common sense prevail. Let's just get on and do it. You know, I'm not sure that drivers want to hit runners and I'm not sure runners want to get hit by drivers. And I think as long as that's the mindset between both parties, generally you're pretty, you're pretty good. Yeah, certainly put the signs out. Certainly let people know there's an event on. You've always got a lot of volunteers that are going to slow traffic down on difficult corners or different stretches of road. But it's just amazing now how just difficult it has become to do anything. Because occasionally a freak accident happens, it might be once every 50 years, and then we just legislate, we legislate, we legislate, like it's a common occurrence, like it's going to happen every day for the next 50 years. And it just becomes too hard in the finish, doesn't it? And then we wonder why we pay exorbitant costs for entry fees into events um, and why things are so expensive. Well, it's to pay for the risk management, it's to pay for the safety plans. Anyway, I'm not sure how we ended up digressing on that. It's coming up to nine minutes after eight. We will um, bring you the highlights very shortly of last night's and this morning's World Cup games. Ghana taking on South Korea. Brazil taking on Switzerland. Portugal taking on Uruguay. And the game that started last night at 11 o'clock ended up being one hell of a game. Cameroon taking on Serbia. So we'll bring you those games very shortly here on SENZ. We'll also bring you some reaction from inside the England camp as we do count down to that 8 o'clock tomorrow morning when they do take on Wales. Pretty much impossible for England to miss out unless Wales were to beat England by four or more goals, I think it is. Um... So it'll be interesting to see what Gareth Southgate does in terms of the England team that he does select. Does he go conservative or does he decide to play with a little bit more youthful exuberance? See what the likes of Phil Foden can do. See what the likes of Alexander Arnold can do. Give another opportunity to Jude Bellingham. I think there's more interest in the team being named rather than the game itself so we will look at that. Uh, look, I'm I just keen to see if we can get maybe just a bit of discussion on this, whether it be via text on double eight double three, or you can do it on 0800 150 811. Um, I see SEN host does the Canterbury show on SENZ on a Saturday morning and uh, really, really good talent. Frankie Mackay has come out and condemned New Zealand cricket's treatment of former White Ferns captain Amy Satterwaith, a 36-year-old, this is Satterwaith, was one of several senior players, and this included Frankie Mackay, to be dropped by the organisation in May. New Zealand cricket opting for fresh faces for the 2022-2023 season. Now, following the snubbing, Satterwaith, who was the second highest New Zealand women's one-day run score in history, announced her immediate retirement from international cricket. I think she's just picked up a coaching role. I think it might be with Adelaide in the women's equivalent of the Big Bash over there. And anyway, Frankie McKay's come out and said this. I'll be pretty frank and I'll say I think it was exceptionally poorly handled by New Zealand cricket for the women's side of the game. The only way you could probably describe the treatment of a legend of the game... And Amy Sada White, who has played, I think, 16 or 17 years of international cricket, was, to be honest, nothing sort of disgusting. It creates a little bit of an unsettled feeling amongst players if a player of her standing and calibre can be dropped with no questions around it and just removed from the contract. Actually, we've had enough. It's not that you're not good enough. It's just that we want someone who's in their teenage years to have a crack at it now. So... That was pretty much the rationale provided by New Zealand cricket. But there's been this discussion also with Martin Guptill. He's basically opted out of New Zealand contract, dropped from the didn't play in the T20 Cricket World Cup, and dropped for the One Day Series against India. Uh, Fifteen years of service, almost 200 One Day Internationals, averaging just over 40. Very good record at the T20 level. And I guess the question is, should these sports organisations be better in the way they let athletes down, i.e. tell them, look, hey, um, look, your time's up, honouring and recognising their achievements. And I think in the case of, like Guptill and Amy Satterwhite, I think New Zealand cricket needed to do more And I don't think it was handled particularly well either situation. I think we've seen it in rugby at times too. The Americans do it well. When an NFL legend is told time's up or retires or same in baseball, basketball, they honour those players and they keep honouring those players. Here, it's a bit like working for a corporate. Oh Well, hey, thanks for your time. Thanks for all the overtime. Thanks for all the great memories. Um, But tomorrow we're replacing you and we're moving on. And we're going to forget all the extra hours you put in, the legacy that you helped build, because all we're interested in is the bottom line and no one player is bigger than the game or one, no one worker is bigger than the organisation. And that's what I can't stand about the corporate world. That just does my head in. Put all those years in, and they give you, you know, a whiskey flask that might be engraved, and that's it. You're gone. Life moves on. Um. Yeah, where, where do you sit on this one? Do we need to be better? This is at a time when sports under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of bullying allegations going on. We've got Mahe Drysdale wanting to get an athletes' collective going, so. That they've got more of a say in it and they've got a little bit more control and that they are empowered to feel like they're getting treated fairly. And so it's not something that these sports organisations are not aware of. It's been out there for a while that a lot of elite athletes um, struggle with the high-performance environment, struggle with a lot of national sports organisations, their administering bodies, and feel that it's too top-heavy. And it doesn't take much for an athlete to lose their focus of concentration, lose the desire to train or not be able to train properly when you've got a few mental health issues or you feel like you're not being heard, or you feel like the world's against you, whether it be your coaches or your sporting administration. So somewhat of a surprise that New Zealand cricket just haven't been better at this. New Zealand rugby, not a lot better either. They've got all this resource in the world, terrible communicators, terrible public relations, but yet if you speak to them, they've got the best people and they're the right people for the job and how dare you challenge us. Telephone number's 800 150 If you do want to comment on that, it is 16 minutes after 7. 20 and a half minutes after 7, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone number's 0800-150-811. Text us here on 8833. Um, is everyone a little bit sick of every single sporting event getting really politicised at the moment? We sort of had the Women's Rugby World Cup politicised you know, it was all about women's rights and historical oppression and we've got a FIFA Football World Cup on that's all about, well, there's a lot of rights around gay rights and, I mean, Qatar should never have got it and the way they treat women and the LBG community is appalling. We know all of that, but I just want to watch the football. Um, been a lot of people traveling to Qatar making protests. I think there's a danger in that, particularly if you come from countries like America, because you've got to look in your own backyard. You can hide behind Western civilization and you can hide behind the West and believe somehow that you do everything right and they point the finger at everybody else. But you look at America's foreign policy, you look at their gun control laws, they still execute people in the States. You know, It's not particularly squeaky clean itself. And so I think we all know that Qatar is probably not a place you'd like to bring a family up. But if you're going to go to their country, like it or not, you actually have to live by Their laws. And if you don't want to do that, don't go. Could you be, you know, imagine going to certain parts of America and your anti gun lobby and trying to sort of preach to parts of America that are so bro- pro gun that it's not funny? How, how do you think you'll last? How do you think you would survive? You know, I, I'm just, I just want to get on and enjoy the Football World Cup. The politicising of the Women's Rugby World Cup. Ruined it for me as well, the exaggeration of crowd numbers, the exaggeration of the Women's World Cup being bigger than the Men's World Cup and this whole, we're going to get even, we're bigger, we're better, etc. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. There's other platforms in which we can go down the human rights path. I mean, I think everybody has been enough attention drawn now to Qatar. Let's just enjoy the Football World Cup. Uh, 23 minutes after seven. Hi, Paul.
1: Hi, what? How are you tonight? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, I'm just about this um, sports stars uh, retiring. Um, I've got... I'm divided on it. Um, yes, they probably do deserve a bit of recognition from the fans, but at the end of the day, if they're not good enough, they're not good enough. Or, or the coach thinks they not good enough, they're not good enough. So which way do you go? Do you give what the Frank Nigel final farewell tour
2: Well they did it th- to, to, be, fair, off, to or... be fair they did it for Ross Taylor though you know I don't think Ross Taylor was good enough to be playing test cricket in the last 12 months and they did give him that final series against Bangladesh um, so I guess there's been just that little bit of inconsistency. Look every player knows at some point they're going to get that phone call unless they pull a the pin themselves at some point they are going to get replaced at some point they're not going to be the player they once were in the eyes of someone. Sometimes it might be political, um, and and I think you're naive and stupid if, as an athlete, if you don't think it's going to happen to you. Uh, but I think in the situation like a Satterwhite, and I think in a situation like a Martin Guptill, um, i I think you've probably got to get a bit of a read on the public, and I think the public probably feel like they, yeah, maybe do need just a a little bit more of a ceremonial outing.
1: I looked I look to the Australians when um, this got rid of Aaron Finch. and said, "Yeah, you'll you'll capture this Mickey Mouse series, and, and that's it. You've gone, and you're out of the team, or or, or whatever." As a, when they played New Zealand a couple of months ago, you've gone. And but then um, remember when uh, McGrath and Warren and Gilchrist and and all them retired, they announced it and gave themselves a series to say, "Well, yeah, we're on our way." So the players got to be involved with the coach and say, "I've." Oh, it's my last series, or the coach has got to say, it's your last series, um, do what you want, or Guppy say, I still want to play. I'll find my way back into the team. Then what can the coach do about that?
2: Well, they can't do anything, and if Guptill can go away and score a lot of runs, he's entitled to it. I think that's probably your point. I mean, I think the players... Realise that at some point, as I said, their time might be up. But it's a case of saying maybe you know give them a little bit more warning. Hey, going look, we've you know with the case of the New Zealand women's cricket team, look guys, um, going forward we want to put a little bit more emphasis back on youth. We need to rebuild. We need to replenish and regenerate. Um, Amy, look, um, to be fair, this is going to be your last season playing for the national team, or this is going to be your last series, and at least give them a little bit of time to be able to digest that and accept it rather than just getting a phone call out of the blue saying when you're expecting to get picked and then suddenly being told you're not going to.
1: That's depriving a youngster of 18-year-old, five or six games, they could be getting experience.
2: Yeah, yeah. And look, and it's just trying to find that balance, isn't it? It's just about, I mean, look, Athletes are really owed nothing. I mean, everybody says that they make sacrifice. That's rubbish. They're all bloody well paid. They're all treated like bloody royalty here. They're doing it because they want to. They're selfish and they're self-centred. Look, I know I I tried to chase a dream myself for over 10 years. And so I know what it's all about. So I don't ever like to hear that word sacrifice. Oh, but look at the sacrifices they've made. No, no, they haven't made sacrifices. You know, there's a guy out there studying 60 hours a week, working three jobs, getting himself through medical school so he can become a brain surgeon and a heart surgeon and save kids' lives and save parents' lives. And is the nearest thing to God on earth you've got, you could argue that he's making more of a sacrifice. Um, And so... Yeah, I, I don't like that term being used but I think these national organisations just from a public relations point of view and dealing with public perception just need to be a little bit better in terms of honouring the greats of the game.
1: Yeah, but then how does that affect the rest of the team when I've seen it when they're bloody um, they get a, uh, clapping onto the field for the last game and things like that and, and it just, how does that affect one the, the team or the player itself? It must be emotional about that and Affects his performance, so he's not giving the best for the team.
2: Yeah, it can go both ways. I mean, it can go both ways. I think guys like Brendan McCullum went out on a high, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, is it up to the player at thirty five, thirty six to? I mean, that that is the alternative, Paul, isn't it? Look, come on, you're thirty six years of age, guys. Do you really think this is going to go on forever? Um, if you don't want to be humiliated, if you don't want to feel you're let down, maybe you need to be in control of your destiny and maybe you should get out at the peak of your powers or maybe you should get out when you feel like you're still on top or the day that you sort of feel like, hey, you know, perhaps I'm not seeing the ball as well as I once did. Um, hey, maybe I will go out on my own terms and tell the selectors, hey, look, I'm still eager, I'm still hungry, but this is going to be my last summer.
1: Yeah, well, yeah the point of that is um, why what not it, or oh, maybe they did offer Guppy the, the T20 coaching job to keep him involved and in, in use his experience that way rather than as a player just say, well, coach the T20 side because Gary Stead can't do it. it's hopeless. So no, he is, but, that,
2: but but that's it. I mean, you know, have they done any of that? What are they doing? What support systems have they put around Martin Guptill? He might be 36. He might have played 200-odd games. Everyone think, well, you know, he's not going to take it as hard as the kid that's 19 or 20 and gets stumped. Well, how do we know that? I mean, this is what's, oh, de- right. this is what's defined Martin Guptill's life. And so you know, what are they doing around it? How do they tap into all of that knowledge, all of that experience? Do you just push them to one side and say, hey, look, apply for a job when it comes along? Or do you get alongside of them and say, we still think you've got a lot to offer, but it's not actually in the middle anymore?
1: That's the way they should go, Hmm.
2: but
1: obviously they don't, or or Gary Stead's
2: currency is not the man for the job. See, I'm not a a big one in placing too much emphasis on building for the future because what that says to me is you're okay, you're happy to lose games in the here and the now in the name of the future. Well, if you're happy to lose games, don't expect the public to turn up in the here and the now. Don't expect to sell tickets at a premium price in the here and the now. If all this is is a New Zealand development team, looking towards three years. I still like my sports teams to win in the here and the now. I watch sport because I want to see New Zealand cricket win the game I'm tuning in to watch, not losing, saying, oh, that's okay because we might win the Cricket World Cup in three years' time, and we're just taking three steps backwards at the moment to eventually take four steps forward. I don't buy into that, Paul.
1: Wasn't the old age it used to be, if you're good enough, you're old enough?
2: Yeah, absolutely. If you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, Absolutely. I see they've taken an 18-year-old spinner Uh, The England team have taken an 18-year-old spinner who's barely played two first-class games on their tour of Pakistan. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes.
1: Hmm. Oh, he might be a good drinks carrier. (laughs)
2: hey thanks Paul lovely to have you on the program do appreciate you taking time and phoning through too okay enjoy the football later I will mate thank you 7.30 you're listening to SENZ Um, if you want to jump on have your discussion on this It's, it's an interesting one isn't it but I hate the word sacrifice I keep hearing it from athletes oh look at the sacrifices we make no you do it because you want to do it man you know let's be honest early part of your career you're not contributing to the gross domestic product of this country you're not doing anything You know, one day you might end up representing your country at the highest level and you might have the ability to change the mood of a nation. But generally these days you're actually reasonably well remunerated. I mean, most Olympic champions make a bit of money corporate speaking. They do get a bit of advertising money in, but they leave a legacy, don't they? And the door's open for them. They get their foot in the door in places that people who are often more qualified can't get their foot in the door because of their name, because of what they've achieved. Hate the word when athletes go, oh, look, but the sacrifice... What, the sacrifices you make playing for the All Blacks? People wiping your bum, people telling you when to get changed, staying in the nicest hotels, traveling nice places, and whether you're good or bad, getting paid a million bucks a year, and you call that a sacrifice? I mean, seriously, mate. Seriously. Don't use that word. I don't want to hear the word, athletes making sacrifice. Okay? You chase the dream, you're living the dream, they're the best years of your damn life. 28 minutes away from 8. you listen to SCNZ. 24 minutes away from 8 o'clock. We'll keep you updated on the softball world championships as well. It is the Philippines that New Zealand are playing tonight. Not a great start for the Black Sox. Top of the first. Philippines lead by one run to nil. One out, but a runner on second base. They need to shut this hot streak of batting down from oppositions. Like baseball, this game is about good pitching and we just don't seem to have the pitching depth. We just don't seem to have the accuracy or the ability to maybe make those subtle little change-ups, certainly from what I saw last night against Argentina, looking to try and win their eighth world title. It's funny, isn't it? They've won seven world championships, the softball team, I don't, I, I, I'll i just get you to check, Ben. Go back through the Halberg Awards. Has the men's softball team ever won Team of the Year? I'm just wanting to know. I know the netball team have won Team of the Year. I'm pretty sure the women's rugby team this year will win Team of the Year. I know the All Blacks have done it. I know the America's Cup have done it. Has the softball team ever won Team of the Year? And if not, why not? Now, we've got a media out there at the moment that preach equity, that preach equality, yet they don't practice what they preach when it comes to certain sports. Is it because it's blue collar? Is it because it's a men's sport and it's blue collar? Is it because, well, it's not going to give us the number of hits? We preach equity and we preach equality because it also makes commercial sense to us. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one is the number. Have you got a list there, Ben?
3: Uh, I'm just scanning through it now, and teams of the year. A team of the year. This award goes back to 1987 that I can see. Yep. Go through the teams of the year from 1987. Oh, geez. Uh, All Blacks, 87. Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Then we got Ian Ferguson and Paul McDonald. K two one thousand. Yep. In Seoul. Uh, New Zealand netball. 1989. Yep. yep. Uh, then Steinlager Crew, 1990. what yeah, Whitbread Round the World. Eisenhower Trophy Team. Yeah, golf. Yep. Auckland Rugby. Yet, yeah, remarkable era. I'm not sure, but yeah, incredible era, that Auckland Rugby team. Uh, yep. Then it was Eisenhower Trophy Team. Yep, they won the Eisenhower that year. Yep. Philippa Baker and Brenda Lawson. Yep, rowing. Yep. Uh, team New Zealand. Yep, America's Cup. Then back-to-back years of the All Blacks, 96-97. Yep, winning a series in South Africa, yep. Uh, Equestrian Team 98. Yep, World Championships. Black so- oh, black Caps, sorry, 1999. Yep, Test Series victory in England. Team New Zealand 2000. Yep, defending the America's Cup. And then you got got uh, back-to-back years of the Everswindale Twins. Yep, rowing. Silver Ferns again. Yep. Then you got the Everswindale Twins again. Yep. Then you got got uh, George Bridgewater and Nathan uh, Twaddle. Yep, rowing. Yep, I, w- I-, I worked the Olympics with Nathan um, in 19... 19- yeah, 2000, when did I work with Nate? Oh, 2016 in Rio, lovely guy, yep. Uh, All Blacks 2006, yep. uh, Men's Cockless 4, 2007.
4: Yep,
2: World Champions.
3: Ever Swindale Twins again in 08. Yep. Then you got your Hamish Bond and Eric Murray. Yep. 2010 All Whites. Yep. 2011 All Blacks. Uh, and then you've got one, two, three, four years of alternating between Hamish Bond, Eric Murray and the All Blacks. Then we hit 2016, which is Peter Burling and Blair Tuke. Team New Zealand 2017, Black Fern 7s 2018, Silver Ferns 2019, nothing in 2020, and last year was the Black Caps, so Okay, no so, Black so go
2: back to 2008 when we won the Softball World Championship. Who won it that year, uh, when we won the Rugby League World Championship? Uh, the Everswindale Twins. Okay, so Rugby League... And softball have never won it. Why is there a prejudice towards those sports? Why do we diminish the softball world champions yet promote the netball? The netball can only really historically, historically have been won by three countries. You can argue four now. But England have only really just emerged. It was always Australia, Jamaica and New Zealand. And now you've got England in the mix. You look at the softball world championships, you know, suddenly it's got a lot harder. You've got United States, you've got Canada You've got Venezuela, you've got Argentina, you've got the likes of Cuba, all capable. Philippines are currently leading this Black Sox team at the moment. Why have they not been recognised? Can someone tell me that? Where are these journalists who love to go out there and politicise things? these And I'll say, a lot of them are feminists that love to go out there, push this whole um, gender equity thing to the point where sports organisations now feel backed into a corner and you almost feel that a lot of these awards are just box-sticking exercises. Why hasn't softball been recognised? Most successful sports team never won the team award. 800 How did the rugby league team not win it in 2008 for winning the Rugby World Cup? You know the black fans are going to win it this year for winning the Women's Rugby World Cup. The other thing I want to know is why hasn't anybody in softball been knighted? Seven World Championships, no one's been knighted. Wayne Smith will get knighted for coaching this women's rugby world cup. We've had all sorts of All Blacks and All Black coaches been knighted over the years. We had Dame Noeling Tuaroa become a Dame for winning a Netball world championship in 2000 and what was it 17 I think. Yet where is Stephen Kearney's knighthood? Where is
3: Nathan Kalis for captaining the Kiwis back in two thousand and eight? Ben? I just wanted to say as well, even if you go back to two thousand and eight, when uh, you look at the uh, the sportsman of the year, which was Scott Dixon, uh, and I'm assuming that oh he won he won um he won the Indianapolis yeah, five hundred. Yeah, yep. he did. He won it that year. But even the coach of the year that year uh, in two thousand and eight, I literally just had the list in It'll front. Be rowing, won't it? I think it might have been rowing off the top of my head, yeah. But uh, I don't know if there were any nominations, but I guess not to even get any... But, oh, sorry, it was Chris uh, Kristen Heller.
2: Oh, Kristen uh, Kirsten Heller. Yeah, so, sorry. So, yeah, coach of Valerie Adams. Um, so Valerie Adams, 2008, was the Olympics.
3: And Valerie took out the Supreme Award that year. Yeah,
2: yeah, so she won Sportswoman of the Year. Okay, so you can understand why then perhaps Rugby League hasn't won it in Olympic year. I do get that to a degree. Um... And Olympic medals, in my opinion, do override anything else. Because if we're true to it, I mean, rugby league is still, as I said, it's a Commonwealth sport, as is netball. Uh, softball, I think, is a bit more global. Um, and they're world famous here in this country. And there's not really a lot of depth. That Women's Rugby World Cup, let's be honest, there are only three countries that could win that. But there was just such drama with the semi-final and final, it captured the imagine of a nation because those three nations were involved. New Zealand had to beat those other two nations to win it. Um, but yeah I I just struggle with the prejudice that seems to go with sort of blue collar sports sports that's historical roots tend to be the other side of the tracks a slightly lower socioeconomic background a slightly rougher crowd of people if I can say that I think it's changed a little bit now but that's basically the line historically wasn't it and why is this and are the same media that are going to insist that the women's rugby team win the Halberg Award, even though Zoe Sadowski-Sinnett should win it by a bloody mile because she won New Zealand's first ever Olympic Games gold. And Nico Porteous should win Sportsman of the Year because he won Olympic Games gold. will still, there'll be such political pressure that somehow these Black Ferns probably end up taking the whole thing, which would be appalling, to be perfectly honest, and would be an absolute mockery of the whole system and would be a real kick in the teeth for Zoe Senate remarkable athlete and she deserves to win the whole thing overall because she also won a bronze medal and for Nico Portius not to win sportsman of the year would be again a kick in the teeth but I want to know where the likes of the Dana Johanssons and these different people are writing their columns about the grievances of New Zealand softball and I'll use the word, how they have been oppressed by our sports media and sports journalists for far too long. They love to use the word oppression. They want equity. They want equality. Well, let's be fair about it. 0800
3: is the number. I just wanted to... Ad, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was the the Halberg Awards prior to COVID, so it must have been uh, the twenty nineteen. And I, I remember that Israel Adesanya. I think he won the men's award. I don't I don't remember if he took out the supreme award, but I remember there was lots of discussion around his and, his speech and, and about how hard that was to actually get that kind of sport and that in that limelight, so it could be in that discussion.
2: Yeah, and look, it's interesting, but you know why suddenly? You know why suddenly? it's in the discussion is because they realise how big the UFC is. They realise how many people watch it. They understand how truly global it is. So suddenly the media have got behind it. But sometimes, sometimes you need the media to promote a sport. I mean, you look at how much the media got behind this women's rugby team. It's the best marketing you can do prior to the tournament. There's so much around it that you're curious that you end up going along. You know, UFC Interest in this country wasn't generated by the New Zealand media. New Zealand media have ultimately ended up capitalising on UFC promoted UFC and promoted the New Zealand fighters that are out there. I'd like to get some talk back on this. 800 1508 is the number. Still, Philippines leading New Zealand in the softball by one run to nothing. Bottom of the first. We've got runners on first and second. No outs at the moment. Runner looking to advance from second to third. Batter looking to bunt and try and advance the runner and sacrifice himself in the process. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. It is eight and a half minutes away from eight o'clock. Good news for the men's New Zealand softball team, leading the Philippines now by three runs to one. We had runners on first and third, and then we've just had a home run. Now, I don't have the audio up, so I can't tell you who is doing the hitting. I'm only looking up occasionally, so uh, good two outs though, bottom of the first, Um, and there was a double play. So No, it wasn't a double play. In fact, those runners would be brought home, and that'll bring the inning to a close. And so we go into the top of the second. It is the Black Sox leading the Philippines by three runs to one. Uh, Somebody texting in saying, no, cycling's Aaron Gate overall winner. Look, Aaron Gate, I I love my cycling. I've commentated it. Olympic Games in London uh, sorry the last Olympics in Tokyo men's and women's road races I've done it previously in Beijing etc but it's the Commonwealth Games um, you know the road race doesn't have anywhere near the best cyclists in the world track cycling you've got a number of events that you can cut across Aaron Gates four Commonwealth Games gold medal is remarkable and he would win this hands down if it wasn't for the Winter Olympics you cannot put four Olympic Commonwealth Games gold medals over one Olympic Games gold. We, he is the first New Zealand male to win a gold medal at the Winter Olympics. We have only won six Winter Olympic medals, a silver and a Lisa Koberger, Porteus and Zoe sadowski Senate four years ago winning bronze, both winning bronze, this year, Zoe sadowski synod winning gold and bronze and Nico Porteus winning gold. With your 100% on the Aaron Gate, but you've got to go Nico Porteus. There are just some things that just carry a lot more weight. That will be an interesting one. The problem with Zoe sadowski synod and Nico Porteus is that it was done... Their achievements were done in February this year, and so it's forgotten, it's lost. There are other things that freshen our mind at the moment. And it's important that those judges that sit on the Halberg do their due diligence, look at the history of events, look at the depth of competition. And if they're not prepared to do that because they don't have the time, they should not be Helberg judges. You've got athletes out there who are winning because they don't leave a stone unturned, who go out there and try and be the best they can be. And it's only fair then that if we do have to judge them and we do have to try and compare performance against performance, which is not always an easy thing to do, that every judge shows them the same level of respect and the same level of due diligence that the athletes themselves put into their own sport. I like the fact that we've got a Nico Porteus, that we've got an Aaron Gate discussion. Because again, it just demonstrates what a good year it's been. I think Dylan Schmidt might have won a world trampolining medal too this year, didn't he? Any coverage around that? why not why didn't he why didn't he get the coverage what not trendy enough not going to get enough clicks on in the various news platforms the same news platforms that don't really care about economics because they just believe in pay equity unless it's their own business of course And then economics does play a factor. Because if it didn't, you'd give Dylan Schmidt the coverage. You'd give a lot of minor sports the coverage. But they don't, because it doesn't make sense to them commercially. But hang on a minute, aren't they the same people, though, that have a socialist view of the world and don't understand why women's rugby doesn't get paid as much as the men? You're listening to SENZ, with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. Darts between 9 and 10 with Ben Francis got a question regarding the game of darts remember the month of December is all about darts one of the great traditions over the new year the world darts championship draw being made this morning I'll talk a lot about that between nine and ten tonight got any questions jump on the phone anything you're curious about the darts the rules technology how much technology is there in darts what does a decent set of darts cost you what makes good darts from bad darts all of those things like any sport it's good equipment, bad equipment, and you'll be amazed at how much technology actually goes in to the boards, to the darts themselves, and even the preparation of the athletes. Sorry, I just need to change something in the studio.
3: I can I can attest to the, the equipment, uh, Watto, and how slight changes or a different set of darts can improve your game because I've recently had a, a, a set of darts change in the last month got a new set of darts But bit iffy at first but now I'm starting to find that rhythm with the dart and I'm starting to know when the good time is to release the dart and the way it sits and uh, I can safely say that I played a game a couple of days ago and I recorded my highest ever average which was just under 80
2: yeah look and I agree with that but I mean I'll always say this to people like you can't buy your performance you cannot buy performance like you can buy all the gear and you, there's a saying you know all the gear no idea um, I mean at the end of the day great equipment but you've got to back it up with a lot of time too and you've got to get technically right and you've got to work on all those other things and then that good equipment is the icing on the cake um, and I think sometimes you've got to learn you know pick up darts just start throwing them and then by doing that when you do pick up a, a better set of darts or better equipment in any sport, you then start to get a bit of a natural feel for what makes them better and what you're using previously uh, perhaps weren't great. But I just want to reemphasize that. If you want to get good at something, practice, practice, practice. Cannot buy your way to the front. I've seen guys turn up to bike races with $20,000 bikes and get dropped in the first 500 metres. Anyway, three minutes after eight... Um, as I said, softball, bottom of the third now. So f- top of the third, in fact. So the Philippines are batting. It's New Zealand leading by three runs to one. Right, let's bring you what we were planning on originally doing between seven and eight. Um, let's bring you the highlights of the football from overnight. The first game last night was 11 o'clock and it was played between Cameroon and Serbia.
5: Now Maximovic to the back post, Mitrovic gets his head onto it, and it's looped over the crossbar. The first good move for Serbia, passes infield to Mitrovic, back heel, back on through to Mitrovic, edge of the box, looks for a cross, fakes out one defender, left-footed shot, hits the post! Still alive here for Serbia, left edge of the area, the shot is blazed over the bar by Filip Kostic. Alexander Mitrovic, individual brilliance on the left flank here, Serbia. Cross comes in, and headed away, and oh, they haven't cleared their lines, Cameroon, they made a blunder, and it almost caught. Them. Alexander Mitrovic from about the penalty spot. Front. Here you go Cameroon up the right sideline and a powerful shot unleashed by Pierre Kunde, who was on a tight angle on the right edge of the area but he had to make the goalkeeper work. Kunde works it in. Back post! And Cameroon, they do score! Serbia have been made to pay for their errors. It's Jean-Charles Castelletto at the back post for Cameroon. The defender scores Cameroon's first goal at this 2022 World Cup. Being picked off by Kunde, and now it's a break for Cameroon. Pierre Kunde to the box, shoots off the goalkeeper back again. Kunde just missed the second time. Free kick for Tadic to the edge of the box, and Serbia do have the goal. Strihanja Pavlovic, the defender getting forwards. Dusan Tadic found him, and Pavlovic nods at home past the goalkeeper to equalise before half time. Zamboangisa has given it away poorly. Zivkovic on the right side of the box. Onto his left. Malinkovic Savic! Oh, Sergei! Sergei Malinkovic Savic unleashes from the edge of the box. And from 1 0 down, Serbia scored 2 in 2 minutes. And they'll take the lead into half time. To the left for Kostic, squares it back inside, Milinkovic, Savic lays it off, shot comes in from Alexander Mitrovic, and the striker gets his goal, Alexander Mitrovic puts Serbia 3-1 up. Abubakar's in behind the Serbian defence here, flag stays down for now, Abubakar cuts it around one, chips the goalkeeper, and Vincent Abubakar has his goal ruled out. Offside flag goes up, as we expected, but the play went on. Oh, you, you know that's what? Wow. That, is that is line ball offside. That oh, it's a, a oh it's a goal. Oh, Vincent Abubakar, you know what? He deserves that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great finish. And they've given it, so it's not offside. And now he's in behind the defence again, Vincent Abubakar. Trubo modding to his inside, Abubakar. Oh, it's game. It's tied all up. Eric-Maxim Tripomoting has tied the game at 3-all. And Vincent Abubakar, the captain, has been the difference maker for Cameroon. Abubakar has taken up position on the flank, running diagonally into midfield. Abubakar takes a shot from a long way out and it's straight into the hands of the goalkeeper. Cross comes in from the right for Serbia. They're inside the box. Mitrovic just misses the target.
2: Yeah, another very good result for the African continent. 3-all against the might of Serbia. A really good game, thoroughly entertaining game, six goals in all, Cameroon three, Serbia three. Next game was a group H game between another African nation, Ghana, and taking on, well, one of Asia's traditional powerhouses, a side that a lot of people thought, you know, might go a long way in this tournament. Ghana versus South Korea.
6: I like Sun Hyun Min. Kudos is there as well. Sends it in. And it's a goal to Ghana. Beautifully scored there by Salasu, and Salasu rose, and headed past the keeper, party to Samed, Samed left side, Mensah, here we go, oh, glancing header, it's a goal, what a brilliant ball there by Jordan Ayu. and a glancing header from Kudus, has put Ghana 2-0 to the good, and they win it back, and there's the cross, and there's the goal! What a brilliant substitution. Lee Can Jin's cross was just impeccable. And Cho Gesung has got on the end of it and the glancing header has beaten the Ghanaian goalkeeper down the left. Song Min. There's the cross. Back post, and it's too all. Sensational. And Cho, I think he's got his brace. Yep. On the back post Mensah, there's the ball Here's a shot, 3-2 Gardner are back in front And it's that man again Kudus with it brace They still may get the third They're inside the penalty area It takes a deflection It loops and it's cleared off the line Kim jin su Shot cleared off the line And this is drama Field here Korea will remain on one. The ball comes in the area. There's a chance, and it's blasted over there by Kim Jin su But the big one was that Song Hyo Min had an opportunity. The ball came his way, and he just couldn't collect it cleanly. There's a chance. Song Hyo Min shot blocked. Ricochets. Another shot is blocked. Plenty of bodies in the Ghana penalty area. Chips it in back post. Could this be it? Could this be it? Almost. Almost. They were scrambling on the goal line. And Cho, who's searching for his
2: hat-trick, almost got the ball over the line. Yeah, wonderful performance. Another thoroughly entertaining game. Ghana getting up and beating South Korea by three goals to two. That then brought us to a Group G game. Pre-tournament favourites Brazil up against one of the most underrated European teams, a team that is very difficult to beat, a team that often gets out of the group stages, contrary maybe to the pre-tournament predictions from a lot of pundits. It was Brazil taking on Switzerland.
5: Militao out to Rafinha. Shifts onto Here his leg, Cross back into Vinicius oh. Jr. Saved by Jan Sommer who covered at the back posts. Lovely ball from Rafinha to Vinicius Jr. in space on the left. And then back around to Rafinha. Lakes a yeah. long a shot. Push. That's what we're talking about. Unleashed from distance, straight into the breadbasket of the goalkeeper. Oh, the lights have gone out. This is a new one. The, uh, it's another uh, corner well, for Brazil, and the lights are back on.
4: It's not like the days of old. You know in the days of old when the lights went out, it would take half an hour to get them back on. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> B they're straight back on.
5: Long diagonal ball out to the right to Vidmark. Takes a touch, gets a cross in, defended oh, on careful. the last line. Brazil haven't cleared their lines oh. yet. Now eventually they sort of do. It rolls away, but it will be picked up again by Switzerland, and it was a goal line interception. Brazil now attacking at their end. Out the left, Vinicius skips inside the area, Ooh, gets the ball. cross in. Looking for Richarlison, perfectly timed delivery from Vinicius on the outside of his right boot, swinging it in from the left, and Richarlison throwing himself at it, couldn't get on the end. Brazil attacking attacking down the left, Vinicius gets goal side, Vinny Jr. Vinicius Jr. attacking the left side, getting inside the area, and Brazil's new gun, Vinny Jr. puts the Samba Boys up 1-0. Oh, no. It's yeah. not offside, is it? Checking for possible offside in the lead-up to the goal. Ah, goal's been given. The goal stands. No, it doesn't. Oh, disavow. That signal is offside, my man. <laughs> no goal. This is in the lead-up. I don't think this is Vinicius Jr. who's offside. Yep, to the left of Vinicius. Shuffles onto his right foot. Squares it inside. Lovely touching. in. Oh, oh what a goal! Oh, what a goal! What a finish from Casemiro. Woo! That is Brazilian beauty. That is the beautiful game. Joga Bonito, Brazil. 1-0. Yes,
2: indeed. So, Brazil getting the job done. Two from two so far. Group H, this was going to have always been an intriguing encounter. The likes of Suarez Nunes up against the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo. It was Portugal taking on Uruguay.
0: Spent on court driving through the heart of the field through the center circle all the way oh, through. He's got it! Oh, yeah. oh. oh what a save by Costa! That could have been goal of the tournament. He just kept going he going and going. Nothing could stop him until the Portuguese keeper had seen enough. He makes a sharp save. Banana Silver away. Yeah, it was Neves's header. Silver drives, fires Joe Felix. Shooting Shot- side, oh. netting. And at the back post, pleading his case was Bernardo, sorry, Bruno Fernandez, screaming for the ball. But Jao Felix never looked up. Diaz, he goes down the line to another Man City player, and oh, silver oh, Here we go! Play it into the six-yard box. That's another. Ronaldo. to the back of the net, side netting is Ronaldo. Another goal for the great man. Delightful ball in. Sweet run into the six-yard box. And he's tucked it away. Portugal won. Uruguay won. Portugal could be on their way to the second round. Maxi Gomez, his first touch, gives it back to Palestri. Back to Gomez. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, this my God. A what a wonderful strike from just outside the area. Oh, he roars in frustration. And from nowhere, no back lift. Palestri links up with him. The ball bounces into his, foot, his path. Right foot from the edge of the D there. Away from the keeper hits the post in a way portugal survive big threat there by uruguay bruno fernandez he won the penalty Rochet. can he come up big in his 51st appearance for his country fewer bigger moments than this he stands at the top of the area staring nervously Full of concentration at the ball, only eyes on the ball. The right footer approaches, stutter step at the top, takes a jump, oh, coolly, calmly very cool. sends the keeper to his left and tucks it away to the other corner and nestles it into the back of the net. And Portugal, book your ticket to the second round.
2: Yes, indeed. Portugal end up beating Uruguay to a two goals to nil. Now, tomorrow, 4 a.m., we've got Ecuador taking on Senegal. I'm going to pick Senegal to win that. Netherlands-Qatar, I think the Netherlands comfortably in that one. Iran-USA, well, there'll be a lot of political discussion around this one. Uh, Pardon me, just for the fact that the United States officially ended up bastardising the Iranian flag, would almost like to see Iran win this one. But I think the USA will be too good. And then the game that everybody's looking forward to, which is Wales versus England. Wales come in as massive underdogs, but the Welsh, like the Scottish, like the Irish... Probably, like New Zealand rugby fans, hate the English. I've got to say, I do like the England football team. I hope they can get the job done. More importantly, I just hope they can play exciting football, give the likes of Phil Foden, give the likes of Alexander Arnold a bit of a shot um, and play just with a little bit more youthful exuberance because they were pretty damn average against the United States. You're listening to SENZ. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk some more football. We'll hear from Gareth Southgate in the lead up to this match and we'll also hear from Marcus Rashford it is 15 minutes after 8 All right, updating the softball, New Zealand now leading by 4 runs to 1, bottom of the third bases are loaded no outs, so looking pretty good for the Black Sox against the Philippines at the World Softball Championships bottom of the third, good inning for the New Zealand men's softball team more runs being scored runners on the corners or runners on first and third one out. New Zealand leading the Philippines by six runs to one. We'll keep you updated throughout the evening. Eight o'clock tomorrow morning, it is England taking on Wales. Let's hear from England coach Gareth Southgate.
4: It's like any two countries who's, whose borders are next to each other. There's a, there's a competitive rivalry. For me, it's a, a great sporting rivalry. It's, it's no, more, um, no more than that. Um, that feeling might not be mutual, but um, I, I can understand that as well. Um, so, um, you know, I live in Yorkshire, they feel the same about the rest of England. So, um, that's, that's where we're at. It's gonna be a fantastic atmosphere in the stadium, and um, we're really looking forward to the game. We want to win football matches. Um, we've got to balance freshness with stability so that that's always the decision you're making when you're picking a team um, and yeah we've got a chance to win the group um, with a positive result so there's a lot for both teams resting on the game you know there's no there's no game where there isn't pressure on either team and um, um, yeah we want to really our performance is the key that we have Played well with the ball in our first game, scored a lot of goals. Um, in the second game, was tougher for us. We defended really well. And now we want, want to put both elements of the game together.
0: Do or do not start Harry Kane. Uh, he's obviously one of the first names on your team sheet. Is it that he wants to play every game and it's hard to stop him, the goal scoring record, or simply that the criticism I mean, you might not get if he doesn't score a goal? And for- um,
4: Harry, um, obviously, we're going to pick uh, a team that we believe can win the game. Um, that's our priority always. Um, he's he's fine in terms of the knock he had, which even though we keep saying it's his foot, everybody keeps saying it's his ankle. but I don't quite know why that is, but it's his foot. So, um, But yeah, he's, he's trained well, um, the whole group. Um, there's only Ben White missing with illness. Um, so we've got... You know, to this point with pretty much everybody available to select from which is which is a great position for us to be in it makes decisions difficult of course um, but um, you want a fully fit squad and um, that's at uh, the moment where we're at Thank you,
7: fourth row please
2: Hi Lowry Roberts at S4C Gareth I'd like to ask you um,
7: England are probably clear favourites tomorrow how do you deal with that pressure?
4: We, we're used to it Really, um, I think uh, obviously, in terms of rankings that's the case, and y- you have to accept that um, responsibility going into games and um, yeah we're, we're used to going into matches with that feeling, simple as that
7: Thank you, gentlemen. second row, please
4: um, Hi guys James Ollie from uh, ESPN um there's been a lot made of the critical reaction by some of the fans at at the end of the usa game sort of specifically what is your message to those fans who are going to be in the stadium because it's going to be important that they stay with you in those difficult moments isn't it yeah i'm not really sure what the thing in the stadium was because when we went over to our fans i thought they were really good at the end of the game so um yeah, we we know there'll be a lot of supporters of both countries there. It's going to be a cracking atmosphere. Um, our fans will be with us for sure. There's no uh, there's no question about that. So I think they know the journey this team's been on um, over the last two tournaments in, in particular. We're top of the group at the moment. Still a bit to do to qualify. Um, but as I said earlier, if we can win this game, then we can win the group. And... Uh, that's That was the first objective when we uh, set out at the start of the tournament. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, fascinating
2: to see what team he does pick. I'd uh, just like to see Phil Foden start. Um, Jude Bellingham, Alexander Arnold, just some youthful exuberance. Let's get a Welsh perspective. Welsh great,
7: Gareth Bale we 're disappointed in in the results and and some of the performances, but um it's football it 's not easy we 're a world cup against some some very good teams, but I think the one thing we know we will we'll always give hundred percent so um, we've been working hard the last few days on on trying to make things better and and correct things and yeah i don't we don't need to get anyone going we just need to uh, just keep working hard and hopefully things will will turn around for us yeah no we were we were hurting uh, after the game and the day after, everyone was a bit quiet. But I think we have some characters in the team. We've got everyone going. The energy's high again. Training's been good the last few days. So um, yeah, we're in good spirits. Obviously, we're, we're disappointed with with the the result against Iran, but we have a big game to go tomorrow. And um, yeah, we, we can't dwell on it too much. This is tournament football. We have to to get over it quickly and and go again. No, nope, I don't feel responsibility because we're we're a team where. We're a nation. We we work hard for each other. Um, yeah, we need to deliver as a team. It's not one person that needs to do anything. So, like I said, we we've been working hard on the last couple of days. Um, of course, we would have loved everything to have been to be winning and, and doing a lot better. But the reality is, football's hard. And if if, if it was that easy, we'd we'd be favourites to win the World Cup. So we need to to keep sticking hard, stick together, work like we always do, keep our spirits high and we'll give 100% like we always do again tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. Every team has weaknesses, so we'll we'll be... We've obviously done our homework and we've had meetings and, um, yeah, I'm sure they've done the same with us. So we know it's going to be a difficult game. England are a very good team, one of the favourites to win the tournament. So we're under no illusions, it's going to be hard, but um, we're going to be ready. We're going to give everything like we always do and... um, Yeah, there's been a few shocks already in, in the World Cup, and yeah, there's no reason why we can't do the same. Harry's a very good player, he's a world-class player. He's shown it time and time again. So, um, but they have so many (laughs) good players that can come in and take his place. So, um, whether he's on the team sheet or not, we're going to be ready for the fight. It's going to be a difficult game no matter who we play against. But um, yeah, like I said, he's he's a fantastic player, and um, I'm sure if he doesn't play, he'll be missed by their team a lot.
2: Yeah, I think that Wales can draw a lot of um lot out of some of the upsets that have happened, um that Morocco beating Japan, um, Saudi Arabia, beating Argentina. Um, why not the draw of the win against England? Maybe, maybe that's what might be required for Southgate to take a less conservative approach in the round of sixteen. We're going to take a break here on SENZ. When we come back, we're actually going to change it up. We're going to talk some water polo. We're going to catch up with Fabian Van Roy. A number of New Zealand's leading water polo players are currently in Australia playing. We'll do that next. It is 27 minutes away from 9 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Just trying to get hold of Fabian Van Roy from New Zealand water polo. A number of our men's and women's teams being competing in the Sydney Super League. Opportunity for our leading water polo players to get more international competition the more you get international competition the easier it is to continue to raise the bar our women this year finishing ninth at the World Championships top 10 end up making it to the Olympic Games in our, I think it was our under 18 or under 17 girls ended up finishing 8th at the World Championships so good depth in water polo really really tough game Tough brutally, uh, tough physically, and really tough on the aerobic system. Cannot emphasise just how tough the sport of water polo is. Uh, The oldest team sport at the Olympic Games too, by the way. Just updating the Black Sox taking on the Philippines. It is currently seven runs to one. Bottom of the fourth, we've got a runner on third, and we've got two outs. So runner on third, two outs, bottom of the fourth. Keep you updated. This is New Zealand taking on the Philippines World Softball Championships. Right, we've got Fabian from New Zealand Water Polo on the line. Fabian, good evening, welcome. Hey Mark, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Now look Fabian, we've had um, New Zealand men's, New Zealand women's teams competing in the Sydney Super League. Tell us a little bit about this competition and why do we have New Zealand teams in it? What's the ultimate goal here?
8: a lot of it is for the, the, the sake of development the, the the Sydney league is an incredibly strong league it's in uh you know essentially just across the ditch for us it's 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 uh, you know uh, easily easy to travel to and, and and we can play with with these teams in a, in a good, good manner you know the Aussies have an incredibly strong program for both men and women the women are top of the world the, the men not Completely, but they are, you know, incredibly good uh, uh, in terms of uh, a team to play for us because our men's men's team is at the start of their journey towards uh,
2: 2028 and 2032. So, Fabian, are they full strength New Zealand men's and women's teams that we sent? They
8: are uh, yes and no. So the answer, I guess, is twofold. There's there's a lot of young junior talent in there. And there are a few veteran players that uh, still anchor the anchor our, uh national team we've gone uh for the men uh, a bit of going through a bit of a rebuild so you'll always see that you know there, there will be a few veterans that are able to help the younger generation come through um, and in the women it was a um, well i don't want to say b-side because it wouldn't do them justice they are part of the squad the women's squad but Uh, we've had a number of of our women overseas in Spain after World League Superfinals. A lot of these women went to the US for a camp and a tour and the remainder of the players that didn't get selected for those two events uh, are playing at the the moment.
2: Okay, so you talk about the quality of the Australian teams. Where do the Australian teams come from? Are they university sides? Are they state sides?
8: They are mainly club sides. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the water polo in Australia uh, gets played at a club level. Um, it's very competitive. Uh, I used to, when I played in France and played professionally for two years and then made the move to Australia and played there, I was struck by uh, how strong the competition is. It is stronger uh, than a, a full-blown professional competition that I played in, in Europe. So I think the Australians are just an incredibly well-funded side that they've got. You know, the facilities, 50-metre pools in every uh, small town in Australia, it seems, and it's something that we lack. And they've just got an incredible culture, water pot and swim culture, that they can draw from and, and lots of players playing.
2: Yeah, it's a lack of resource here, isn't it? Lack of pool time, lack of pool space. Putting that to one side in regards to the physical attributes, what what is it that the Australians have over New Zealand? I mean, clearly depth, but what separates, say, good from great in terms of the skill set of an individual player?
4: I don't
8: think there's a major difference in skill set or, or or strength but I think uh uh if if I'd have to uh, pinpoint something it would be the technique uh, you see that a lot of Australian Australian water polo really takes off at about 16 17 years of age for players and for us it actually does, we struggle with keeping the players engaged in the sport because for New Zealand it, you know the, the the period between the age of so 12 and 17 there's a lot of water polo on at school level Um, but the Australians don't have an equivalent of that school uh, program. They have everything running for for water polo through their clubs and that is really the focus for these players. They they will stay engaged. Uh, You look at the Sydney Super League, that has got more teams in their Sydney Super League than we have in our national competition at at a Premier League level.
2: Okay, but you say they've got better technique. Um, Describe that. I mean, what makes good technique in water polo? Give me an example.
8: Um, the funding for international coaches, for example, they had uh, uh, Elvis Vatovic, um, he was a Croatian Olympian, uh, long-time Olympian, who came over and was paid as a professional head coach with uh, you know, a good, good remuneration for his work. And he would also work with uh, the local clubs, the states, um, and put a curriculum together in terms of uh, the techniques that he wanted to see the philosophy that he wanted to play with etc cetera, etc cetera, and it all just moved down from the top from the top down so you are talking about technique you're talking about somebody being able to get on their legs in transition quicker uh, just because of the fact that they have more exercise they train more and they have the coaches these professional uh european coaches that come in uh, uh into the country funded and can deliver that that skill uh, from, you know,
3: their own expertise. You
2: talked about the men's programme, maybe targeting LA 228, trying to get a team out of the Olympics, Brisbane in 2032. Um, what's required to get there? Clearly we want player depth. What else is New Zealand water polo striving for? Um, I mean, how do you how do you negate the lack of pool space?
8: It's a very difficult, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a conundrum. It's, it's a very difficult situation that we're dealing with. It, uh, fortunately, we see a real big uptake now in pools getting built around the country, not necessarily in Auckland, where we still struggle with the sheer numbers. In Auckland, water polo is still a growing sport, but I don't know how long I can grow for. But we do see, we just visited a pool with Masters Championships last month uh, in, in the Hawke's Bay in, in Hastings. They're building a new pool in Napier, which will be a 50-metre deep pool. And they're building a new pool in Gisborne. And they've just recently finished uh, a new pool at Auckland Grammar um, in Auckland. So they're actually, there's actually enough uptake in the amount of pool space. So I think we're headed into a really good direction. And when Christchurch uh, Metropolitan is going to be built and finished, that's going to be really interesting to see how that you know, uh, further cements the club uh, of Canterbury Waterpilot down there and grows the sport. Um, because there's a lot of potential with these new pools coming in, I think we're actually getting into a really good place
2: yeah whose responsibility is within water polo to start that discussion, start that engagement with those local councils, with those perhaps private backers that are building these facilities I mean, I'd imagine you know you talked to you talk to New Zealand swimming, you talk to swimmers, they'll argue there's a lack of pool space for them so um why when why when designing pools um should they be catering to water polo
8: i think uh, what we what we argue with the uh, with the councils and with the architects when when the process starts of building a new pool is the benefit of of athletes playing water polo but also swimming and and you know these these two sports they need deep water pool space you need to be able to do a, a simple a, a, a simple turn with swimming the pool needs to be of a certain depth you know you can't have a pool of one 1.1, 1.2, you, you have to have a pool of 1.4 or 1.6 to be able to do that turn. For water polo to be played at a, at a senior national level, you need to have the pool depth of at least 1.8. Um, and, and that is, that is crucial. And, and there is no really big jump or requirement from, from the councils to, to lower the depth, you know, 40 centimetres to be able to cater for, for for the sport. Uh, as you know, water polo is fantastic sport. It really does well for your conditioning. It makes incredible athletes, and, and so does swimming. So I think uh, when we try and argue this with the councils and, and the architects, we're really trying to highlight the benefits of water polo compared to the the you know the small step of uh, deepening the pool another forty centimeters.
3: Mm.
2: Fabian, over the weekend uh, you had the New Zealand Water Polo North Island Secondary Schools Year Nine and Ten what were the results amongst the Division 1 girls and the Division 1 boys?
8: In the Division 1 girls, we had Dio beat St. Guthbert. Now, you know, of course, you know that Dio and St. Guthbert are both powerhouses uh, at, a, at a senior secondary school level. They've got, a, a, you know, incredible programs. They've got their own swimming pools. and you know, having a, your own facility to play your sport is, of course, an incredible step up um, and benefit to your, to your program. So those are the, two, the top two teams. Uh, And for the boys, Sacred Heart College uh, from Auckland played uh, Rosmini College in the final. That was a little bit of a surprise because usually it is a Sacred Heart Rangitoto engagement. We've seen an uptake in the schools like Taronga Boys College, Aquinas College from Bay of Plenty. Um, uh, But for the girls, it is mostly uh, an Auckland affair. Um, there is a little bit of water polo that's that's getting a bit of a boost also in the in the Bay of Plenty and in Hamilton. Hamilton boys have been doing a really good job as you know with the senior secondary schools that, that's always held in April. Um, but those are the two uh, uh, top schools from from both sides. Um, the the score of the boys final didn't reflect how well Rosmini played. Uh, Rosmini College played, so it was really exciting to see a school like Rosmini who hasn't performed that well in recent times. To, to play to this extent, and to play this well, it's very
2: exciting. Yeah, I understand too. They got a very good uh, senior program. Rosmini, well, Westlake, as will Hamilton, Tauranga. Uh, looking forward to the yeah, New Zealand Secondary Schools Championships. Uh, equally, at the same time, we had the South Island Year Nine and Ten Championships. On, um... have we got you there, Fabian? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. I'm not so sure of this. i will be going on that time. No, that's right. <laughs> Um, I was just saying, now what were the results in the South Island equivalent?
8: Um, we had Marlborough, the Marlborough boys and Marlborough College p- uh, play and win the final in the South Island. Um, I believe, I think I've got that right. Um, we're running the South Island and the North Island uh, Championships typically. Yep. Um, the North Island Championships are run by New Zealand Waterfall, the South Island Championships have been run by Canterbury Water Polo for a very long time. Sure. Just trying to pull up, but we've we've got some really um, interesting developments in the South Island with Canterbury um, really fortifying themselves as, as as a club and as a centre in in the South Island. And the competition, has been growing there. So we've had you know we've had a good uptake in, in the amount of teams, amount of players. The Canterbury Water Polo Club is getting a lot stronger. And and they're producing uh, some very good players coming through in our national side as
2: well. Mm. Okay, now if people want to find out more information about water polo, Fabian, what's the best way of doing it? I mean, my daughter's getting involved in it. Uh, She's been playing for Waitakere. I think she's keen at some point to maybe uh, move to North Harbour. She's doing a, a... Program in a couple of weeks' time, just working on basic drills and fundamentals. I think there's another one here in Auckland in January again at the Millennium Institute. But I, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's a great sport. It's got it's got the gladiatorial nature of it. It's got the aerobic side of it, and it's also got the technical side of it. So if people do want to get involved, what's the best way of doing it?
8: Best way of doing it is to join and, and get on uh, online and, and look up our, our website. At waterpolo.org.nz and you'll be able to find your local club or your local centre uh, through uh, our website there contact the local club uh, and and see if you can uh, have a go uh, for yourself, for your kids for your family, it's a great sport um, You know, the conditioning element of it is, is very important but it makes it you know, for an incredible athlete um, and it's just an all around good a uh, low-impact sport uh, for kids to play in terms of injuries, so there's very low, few injury concerns, and just a great way for eye-hand coordination to get better at this uh, in a team environment.
2: Fabian, lovely having you on the programme as always. Thank you. Thanks very much, Mike. Fabian Van Roy from New Zealand Water Polo. Um, it's, a, it's another sport that I, I just think, Deserves a bit more coverage here. It's got everything that we love in this country. It is brutal, man. It's I'd argue there's a harder sport. The aerobic side of it, the skill side of it, and it's tough. You've got to be tough. i just updating the softball for you, just changing tact here. So the mercy rules come in. The New Zealand men's team have beaten the Philippines by eight runs to one through five innings. So bounce back after a disappointing night last night but the New Zealand men's softball team have won their game against the Philippines at the World Softball Championships being staged here in Auckland. It is 13 minutes away from nine. You're listening to SENZ. Nine minutes away from nine. It's been Ben Francis into the programme. Talking darts after nine o'clock. Ben, your co-host, the discussion points. What can we expect between nine and ten?
3: Well, this morning we had the World Darts champ draw. Uh, which confirms all 96 players who they could be potentially playing uh, first round and the second round games, and there's some very intri- intriguing matchups. so we'll go through that as well. Uh, and this is our second-to-last show of the year, our last one with uh, Ben Rob. so we're going to be encouraging everyone to send through messages of support, and you can go on the draw to win a $200 Dart Depot voucher. OK, and we want people to get on the phone, don't we, and ask those questions that they're curious about.
2: Might even be the distance between... The dartboard and what do you call a dart thrower? Do you call him the dartist? Call him
3: whatever you want. Tungsten thrower? Are you like an an artist that becomes a dartist? Aerosmith, tungsten thrower? Thrower? data, data. What is the distance? Uh, It's a very specific measurement I don't have off the top of my head. It's like seven feet, nine and three-quarter inches or something like that, 237 centimetres.
2: And you're allowed to lean forward as well?
3: Yeah. But your feet have got to be? Well, your foot is usually up against the oki.
2: Against the oki, and that's why your show is called The Oki.
3: At the oki, correct.
2: There you go. So how high is the oki? Uh, I don't actually know. <laughs> that's right. I mean, but is, is it like, you know, they have the shot put circle where you're not allowed to step outside of the circle and shot put or you... Have it's a no throw. Well,
3: it's high enough that if you weren't watching, you'd trip over it. Brilliant.
2: We don't have one out here though at our homemade darts in a
3: do we? No, we just have a bit of tape on the ground, and that's pretty much what see, I see. I
2: reckon that's why I'm not shooting that well.
3: I, I, I actually at my house, I just have a tape measure on the ground. I just Would you it's believe there me permanently. If at, if
2: at home I'm consistently throwing 160, 180, but I come here and I'm throwing eight and eighteen,
3: I'd have to see. It's because it I don't it. have the ocky. We should get you to do the nine dart challenge.
2: Be rude not to at some point. Are you allowed to warm up?
3: Yeah. You
2: allowed to get your nervous system up? Sure. Okay. I might have a crack at it at some point. I've seen it go out on uh, internal newsletters. All right.
3: Give it a go. We'll get it on video and then you can ju- jump on the leaderboard.
2: Yeah, I need to win though and I'm not sure I'm going to beat you, Ben. No. I don't like finishing second. Second's on the other team, Ben. Anyway, the hockey Coming up next here on S E N Z, after 10 o'clock, we will bring you an interview that we did with Andrew Ellis, former one day international cricketer, played T20 cricket for New Zealand because tomorrow it is the third ADI, the third ODI in this three-match series against India. It's been played at Hagley Oval in Christchurch. Game one, won by New Zealand, that remarkable innings by Latham. Second game was washed out in Hamilton. Hopefully the weather holds true in Christchurch and we do get that third game. And so we'll talk to Andrew Ellis a little bit about what he's doing now, what space he's sort of uh, working in, a little bit about his career, and then we'll talk a little bit about the makeup of this black cap side. I also want to ask him, what he thinks needs to happen with cricket internationally to try and bring back that well wow factor of the 1980s and 1990s with the one day game. There was a one day match played at the Melbourne Cricket Ground recently between England and Australia and 10,000 people turned up and I'd argue there was less than that. Some of the best players on world playing in Melbourne the stadium looked completely empty and certainly the crowds are not there in the droves that they once were here in this country. I think part of it is because a lot of these series now, there's too many of them, there's no real meaning on them. If you win, it's like, wow, great exhibition. If you lose, who cares? And so I think cricket needs to find a way of bringing some meaning back to the shorter form of the game. It's got to be greater weight on these games. So we'll look at that after 10 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ.